This is The Last Video Store and I am its clerk, Alexi Toliopoulos, sitting behind the counter having wonderful conversations with interesting people about the films they love. And coming into the store today, we have got a wicked guest. We're joined by Polly Bennett. Now, Polly Bennett is a choreographer and a movement coach of some note, I might add. She choreographed that wicked dance sequence at the end of Saltburn 2, Sophie Ellis Bex's murder on the dance floor. She also coached the movements for Elvis, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Crown. She's basically the expert in teaching actors how to interpret the real life body movements of some of our most recognizable people, people that we see every day. She's the one that makes it so when you watch the movie, you think that is the person. So you'll be very excited to find out what her picks are, what she's gonna do. She's coming in, she's getting the new rental combo, which is one new release, two weeklies, which are older movies, and I'm gonna give her a staff pick recommendation based on her taste. But you know, she's pretty cool, so she might change things up a little bit. We'll see how we go, if she can stick to that combo or not. Until then, let's enjoy the episode. Come on in, sit down. Thanks, I Welcome will. Welcome to The Last Video Store. I am your humble clerk, Alexi, and I will be guiding you through this experience. There's not really many of us left, so <laughs> it might be an odd experience That's of how to rent here. movies. That's why I'm here. Well, thank you for coming in. It's your first time in the store. It is. I'm going to need to sign you up to the store. So, I need to fill out a form. Firstly, first question, what is your name? Uh, my name is Polly Bennett. Okay, type that in. And I'm gonna to have to see a couple of forms of identification. Uh, you've just come up in our system. And the first form of ID that's popping up is I'm seeing off the bloody charts, Sophie Ellis Bexter's Murder on the Dance Floor. Yeah. What's the connection there, <laughs> mate? Uh, I work as a movement coach choreographer in film. Mm -hmm. And I was the movement coach choreographer on Saltburn, uh, in which there was a, the final sequence you seen it? I have seen You've it. Seen it. So the the final sequence of Saltburn is Barry Keen, you know, dancing through. He is stark naked, dancing Start through. Stark naked, yeah. It's a magnificent, magnificent sequence. It's so exciting. I made the observation that Saltburn ends exactly the same way that Austin Powers, a spy who shagged me, starts with a wonderfully choreographed dance sequence, completely naked, roaming through a beautiful manor-esque place. Okay. Uh, were you conscious of that? Was that the inspiration Absolutely for the scene? Absolutely not. <laughs> this is the first time I've, I've thought about that. You know, that was it, it wasn't meant to be the ending of the film, really? that sequence. And it wasn't in the script originally. So the, the, the stage direction was he gets out of bed and walks naked through the house. That was it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then gradually throughout filming, with all the other physical things that I'd been doing on the on the film, the director was like, maybe this should be a dance. And then one thing led to another and then the spirit of Austin Powers came, you know, <laughs> obviously. As he often does, he yeah. possesses many film sets around. Mm -hmm. When it comes to like creating the movement for, how does that evolve into a dance actually? Because uh, it's interesting because it, when I think about like physical movement characterization, 
often it's about like creating the character for like basically exporting the interior into the exterior. Like how do you physicalize that? Was there something that you were trying to channel with that, like specifically? Yeah, that's it's a really good way of putting it. I think um, so. With the with the baseline of the story being essentially a kind of talented Mr. Ripley, someone from one side of the tracks tries to take over somebody else's from the other side of the tracks' life. Mm-hmm. So I did about three weeks rehearsal with Barry and Jacob Elordi, and we worked on both of their different characters' physicalities. So who were these people? How did they interact with each other? How do they interact in space? Where their weight is in their body? What animals mm. sort of si- signify their I love characteristics? That aspect. Yeah, well, it's a really helpful way of trying to remind actors that the body is something that is, you know, we are all animals just wearing a pair of shoes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not that we're... Um, that everything that we do is completely undecided. There is something in our bodies and in our like heritage as humans that makes us interact in a certain way. So working with those two actors as a way of kind of describing it quickly, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, Jacob's character has real extreme lush ownership on his space. So if you were to watch the film again, you might notice that he touches... All, you know, all mm. of the, the um, furniture, he touches the walls, he's... He's tactile. He's tactile, he touches, he spends a lot of time holding his sister, mm. the sort of boundaryless um, physicality that comes with being very wealthy. Yeah. And therefore, Barry, we played the opposite. He's wearing an imaginary l- rucksack all the time, so he's actually quite tight mm. in his body, and he doesn't touch anything until he starts infiltrating the family. So when you see that dance routine, a bit of an Easter egg is that all of the movements that I put in that sequence with Barry are movements that Jacob has done in the rest of the film. Whoa. I so felt he, the chill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it's like, you know, and... And to the untrained eye, you'll be mm. like, oh, that feels, you know, it's been really interesting seeing the response to a piece like that, a dance like that. Because, mm. you know, we didn't, you don't know what, how people are going to take it. Mm. But there's something that subconsciously people understand that something else is happening apart from what you think is happening. Yeah. And I think that's where my job is so interesting because I'm always doing the thing that people don't know mm. is happening. That's so interesting. It's like the minutia of it all, like the kind of the the type of evolution to a character that you might not notice and, except for like on a subconscious level. Yeah. Especially like you're talking about how he's like uptight, he's wound in, he's like insular. And then in, during that sequence, he's free flowing. Like it's, I mean, obviously he's completely naked, but it's just the movement is so like floating almost through that. Yeah. And I guess that we're, we're also... In filming that, you're also working with the cinematographer mm. and the director to make sure he's hitting certain times so that he's in shadows at certain times, yeah. depending on what the movement is. So it's actually, there's there's all the kind of psych- psychosomatic movement, mm-hmm. the things that are uh, freed in his body. But then there's the other thing that comes on top of that mm-hmm. when you're filming something, which the is another... The technicality, res- the craft. Yeah, another restriction. So um, that's why I think... I, that's why I love what I do. And I love being able to work with the physicality of actors mm. that then take it into dance rather than um, the jobs where people say, can you come in and do this jig? And you have no mm-hmm. access to the actors that are involved in it. 
but the way you dance on a night out is because of who you are, how you interact with、mm. your friends, how you like whether you drink or not, all of these things. So I need to do that character work beforehand, so that you, what you don't get is an actor trying to be a good dancer. Okay. You get the you get the actor as their character dancing、mm. the way their character would dance. How do you think my character would dance? You've known me for about probably six minutes now. Is there an aura you're picking up on? Because I do love to dance. I love to cut a rug up. Yeah, I don't know yet.、Wow. But you, but already a lot of your gestures when、mm-hmm. you're speaking to me are forward. Very forward. So what does、I、that am, say about me? Well, I'm a forward would, guy. No, I would imagine that there is. You have more. You have more opportunities in your life. It feels easier for you to move forward、Whoa. and probably be generous laterally,、okay. rather than you with your back up on the wall. So I imagine, yeah, like you. Yeah, would, I'm not a leaner.、Nah. I don't lean back. I love to gesture forward. That's yeah. That's beautiful. I think.、Um, Everyone said that about me. <laughs> that I love to gesticulate forward. Yeah, but I think that all, all of these things. The way that I'm sitting, the way、mm-hmm. that you're sitting, is all because of your upbringing. Wow.、Um, and and the things that you've seen, the things that you've been around, the things that you know. If we went to karaoke now,、mm-hmm. I would love to. By the way, well, after this, <laughs> you know, it's a rainy day.、Um, but if we went to karaoke, and you, what would be your karaoke song of choice? Okay, my song of choice, karaoke. The first thing. Came to mind is Viva Las Vegas, Elvis. Of course, I love to sing like Elvis. That is true. Okay, so in terms of what, how you would perform that? Oh, there would be all、oh, the stops would be taken. Exactly. So、mm. you, you're doing it because of your relationship with seeing somebody else do it. That's true. So in the same way, I then might see you perform and go, oh well, he's he's done X, Y, and Z,、mm. or he's really gone there. So now I've got the experience of watching you as an audience member.、Wow. So the way I then perform is probably because I'm response to、wow. you. Okay, and so, then you could calibrate someone to perform as me. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. That's which、exciting. is the next, you know, forthcoming biopic. Absolutely, we're yeah, trying yeah. to do Alexi Toliopoulos story. Yeah, and I'm trying to get the lead role, but it does not look good. <laughs> it does not look good. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And that's another thing that's coming up in your in the system right now with your identification is this idea of movement coach, which I'm fascinated by because you got a bunch of credits where you've helped. Develop the performances of of these biopics, where real life people are being interpreted by actors. Elvis, Bohemian Rhapsody,、uh, The Crown, as well.、Uh, I, that's something I find so interesting. What are you looking for? Are you looking for mimicry, or is it about like trying to find the essence of that character and how the actor can kind of. Interpret that, and I am forwardly gesticulating while I'm yeah, describing these yeah, yeah. wonderful motions. Yeah, I think you like doing a little body roll. I do a lot of body roll. Yeah, I can see that. Someone did say that I dance exactly like、uh, John Travolta in the movie Michael, where he plays the angel with big wigs, and he does a、uh, dance to Chain of Fools. Well, is that something that you watched a lot when you were? Yeah, unfortunately, I did. So I it's in there. Yeah, it's, it's in, in there. there. It's in the brain somewhere. It's all in there. See, we've got to be thankful to John Travolta always. <laughs> always, me always. too. He's、um, in my prayers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopes and dreams.、Um, what am I doing? Well,、uh, <laughs> in life, what am I doing? In the、um, so for yeah, I guess I mean I, it's it's always important to what to sort of pan out that I was working in theatre.、Mm. In you know, I'm from. England worked in London in theatre from small scale theatre, regional theatre.、Yeah. I've taught 
in a lot of weird and wonderful places from, you know, prisons in South London to, you know, oil companies in Saudi Arabia. Like there's a huge mammothity and breadth to wow. all the different kind of people I've met. And so I never ventured to work in film. Film came to you. You know what? Sounds a little bit, yeah, it sounds a bit woo, but it, it did. Mm -hmm. And I worked on the London 2012 opening ceremony. I was part of the choreography team for the Olympics. And the manner who I was assisting was a man called Toby Sedgwick, who's an amazing kind of clown choreographer. Mm. Um, uh, he worked with a theatre company called Complicite and, you know, has a real slapstick cool. back, background. Nothing like my background. Mm. So he asked me to come on board to work with him on Stan and Ollie, which is the, the uh, film about Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. And uh, I ended up kind of taking quite a leading role in, in making the... A, a replication of the Way Out West dance, mm. um, which is Laurel and Hardy together. So I was, you know, I was working with Steve Coogan and John C. Riley to do that. And it was in that process that, you know, coupled with my deep interest in a television program called Stars in Your Eyes, which I don't know if it made it over here, but spend a, spend a couple of hours on YouTube watching <laughs> that. This was like when yeah. I was a kid, average people would come on, they'd get interviewed you know, all sort of specky and mm -hmm. quiet. And then they'd walk through a door and transform into a celebrity. Whoa. And they would then perform as Cher or Freddie Mercury or whatever. And I was just obsessed with wow, this when I was a kid. you became that door. That's, <laughs> that, that channels them into the celebrity. That's it. Because when I was working on Stan Rolly, I was like, gosh, this feels, something is happening mm. here where I'm really curious about finding out why people move the way they do. And I've always had that, which is why I was doing the job in the first place. Mm -hmm. But there was something about seeing Laurel and Hardy and going, right, these are two guys that are are dancing the same dance. But actually, when you start um, investigating it, you see all of the history of their bodies. You know which one choreographed the dance. Mm. You know that, you know... Um, Oliver Hardy was maybe not as confident in dancing, but he knew how to sell it. You can yeah. see all of that story in them. So I think then that naturally led for me to work on Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was very much the underdog because I was sort of in my early 20s mm. and went to this you know, interview with a sort of top knot wearing dungarees, being very confused <laughs> at why I was there. Yeah. And it was sitting opposite from Rami in this, in this interview and he was like, I don't know how to become Freddie Mercury. I'm, I'm terrified. Mm. And that's what I hear quite a lot working with actors, that people are terrified of the things that they have to do. So I'm going, well, what is it? So you really what you're up against is what makes Freddie Mercury uh, the greatest showman that's mm. ever existed. So rather than go be the greatest showman, which your perception of that is going to be very different than mine. Yeah, mine's is, John Travolta. So. Okay, yeah, <laughs> naturally, and, yeah. and therefore yourself. Yeah, um, oh wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was it that you were trying to, or how did you interpret that? So you have to try and understand what, you know, I work with, I, I find myself saying, what isn't it? Mm. As well as what is it? Whoa, so okay. I'm like, so what isn't Freddie Mercury doing? He's not standing still. He's not on a microphone stand. Mm. He's not always defended by a guitar hold, mm -hmm. holding it in front of him. He's spontaneously moving. So that is the thing that makes audiences excited. You know, mm. the first thing he does at Live Aid is run onto the stage and, and, and 
sort of go the breadth of the stage yeah. and he does these three punches to the audience. Now then when you learn that he was actually a boxer when he was a kid, Whoa. and he was a long distance mm -hmm. runner at school, both of which are fairly isolated sports. Yeah. It makes sense then that he then is the frontman of a band. Mm, instead of a collaborative in the same space. That's interesting. Yeah, so he and the first thing he, what's in his body for yeah. free is those punches. So whilst we might make fun of them as like a thing that Freddie Mercury does. I would never dare make fun of them. Absolutely, God forbid. <laughs> um, but you know, his those punches are actually his his like his, his expression his of self. Yeah, yeah exactly. wow. So and he runs. He runs with high knees across the stage. Um, he also only walks on an eight cat. So he, you know, normally when I count music, it'll be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in time with whatever mm. the beat is. In when he starts moving in Live Aid, he goes on an eight. So he goes eight and one, two, three, four and five, six, seven, eight and one. That is only really done by people that really know the music. Wow. So then we know. Yeah. Freddie's so good at performing because he knows the music inside and out. So you give that to an actor and then someone like Rami can run with it because what they're playing is knowing the music rather than being great. Wow. So it went so when I'm working with, you know, people on the crown or I'm working mm -hmm. you know, with Austin playing Elvis, it's not to you know, it's terrifying to get given these characters mm. like, go on, be Elvis, you know. And then we see a lot of impersonators. We see a lot of people that mimic his movement. Yeah. You were at the karaoke, perhaps. Of course, I'll be mimicking it. But what, Doing karate chops, <laughs> lots of karate chops. Well, there you go. So the karate is the same mm -hmm. thing. But karate, he only started doing karate when he was yeah. in the army. It's true. And so I you don't see it in his body prior to that. Yeah. And at the karaoke, let the record show, I would not put the microphone in my mouth the way that Elvis did. Oh, my God. Isn't that great? When that happened, because I am an Elvis fan, when that happened in the film, I felt a surge of electricity go through my body going, that's real. I want to get up to the audience going, like, he actually used to do shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's because, you know, we spent so much time looking mm. at footage and trying to, because it's not in the script. It's yeah. not in his script, put, he puts the <laughs> microphone in his mouth. the microphone. Yeah, but we had, I had to get that into Austin's body. Like, why is he doing that? He's doing mm. that because he's on this drug, he's on this, he's thinking this, he can hear that, that, like... He's entertaining. There's three girls in the front that maybe he fancies yeah. with. We're trying to make the lived experience of what it was like to be him the same way that in The Crown, working with anyone that is a member of the royal family, we have to, I have to work with them to give them the idea mm. of never not knowing where you're walking. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I regularly, I even walked in here and I was like, oh, I don't know, oh, who am oh, I don't know who mm -hmm. to say hi to because I don't have anyone guiding me. Like, in front of me. The royal family always have got people walking in front of them, so they never have any doubt in their bodies. They, ne they are never going, uh, they're never looking around, they're always on this plane, they're always looking forward. When they turn, they, walk, they, they turn from their backs because they don't, they, don't yeah, need yeah. To, they don't need to be looking around them because something's always there to guide them. Their rhythm is really slow. <sighs> so all of that stuff is so different than Elvis who grew up as the white kid in mm. a in an African-American yeah. neighborhood. Oh. So he looks down. Oh my God, you could have won the Oscar for this. I know. I saw it come, you came, you came in front of me, the you king. Should, you should see me. Yeah. Whoa, the can I ask when it comes to like the study of it all, are you just watching intently? Are you taking notes? How do you, how, what's the research aspect of this? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of watching and it's a lot of reading. Mm. It's a lot of 
trying to it sort of feels very similar i did art history at mm -hmm. university so it feels very similar to kind of like really deep diving on an artist and trying getting all the material as much as possible but like how i've been describing it quite a lot of it is taking an imaginative leap into turning it into something practical and avoiding the idea of going well he's doing this because that actually we don't know what he's doing mm. because it's not our experience yeah. So I'm trying to find imaginative circumstances for people to um, to move with. Like a lot of the the crowd scenes in Elvis, I was you know a key part of because young women responding to a white male pop star mm. who was moving in the 1950s was incredibly rare. Like it just didn't. He was the first time it those eruptions happened. Mm. But asking. 300 girls from the Gold Coast, most of which hadn't really had any interaction with Elvis, you know, mm. is I couldn't go just scream because then you get sort of the Harry Styles kind of thing. Mm. So I researched the history of screaming. Why do women scream? Why is it? Why is it a thing? You know, and then you then I like uncovered all this mad stuff about tribes and who could scream the loudest gets the most attractive man and then you're giving girls that experience i did workshops to go if whoever screams the loudest gets to touch austin's hand and and trying to make those situations as real as possible in the same way as rather than asking a lot of young women this day and age to be sexualized mm -hmm. is to give them something that turns that thought into a physical um, idiosyncratic movement. So, you know, I could try it on you now. Of, of if you pretend that you've got you've got toothache, mm. so you've got toothache, and yeah, and that's yeah, and then maybe you've got stomachache. Oh. Yeah, and that's there. You thought okay. you're, you're, I'm yeah, not I'm asking. I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm not asking you to be sexy. I'm not but asking. I was in that moment. You just naturally were there. <laughs> And that's, that's it. Is that competition still running if I scream the last yeah. time I touch Austin? I don't know. Maybe we could start it up again. All right, we'll try. Yeah, yeah. I've only got one more question to ask you before we jump into your picks. Have you ever been or are you currently a member of another video store? I'm not a member of another video store, which I don't know. If, I don't even know if I'm, I can be. Wow, this is the last one then. Yeah. I so wasn't going to ask you to relinquish your citizenship to them, but now. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I was a member of Blockbuster mm -hmm. when I was a kid and have lots of fond memories of the sort of. What was the, the store you used to go to as a kid? It was, it was a Blockbuster in um, a place called Cheney's Parade in, uh, in like a place called Little Chalfont, which wow, is the is most English sounding village. Yeah. <laughs> Little Chalfont. Yeah. Who's Chalfont and why is he so small? I actually don't know the answer to that, <laughs> but I do know that it's one of the stops on the tube on the London Underground. Mm -hmm. And the, the only reason why it goes out to this place in London is because the man who designed the London Underground lived there. Wow. So it's actually sort of in the countryside on the outside of London. And it's everyone's like, what? It's on the tube? But it's just so this dude could get into work. <laughs> is he like little Chaffon's favorite son? Well, until you came around, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think he's the patron until Hollywood saint of Chapel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. So, mm -hmm. what was the blockbuster like? What were your your fond memories of it? Do you know what? I there's two there's two memories. Which the first is pretty dark, which was going in and seeing the young men that 
worked behind the counter. My colleagues, my yeah. comrades in arms. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to say that, but <laughs> these guys were just watching porn videos oh, and sort okay. of like blustering and putting it away mm. when people came in. Yeah, I, I would say the video store clerk is one of the most blustering type of guys. Yeah. You know, You're like oh, no one can know what I'm up to. Lots yeah, of secrets. Yeah, there's a lot of that. A lot of kind of like rewinding the tapes oh, with yeah. a pencil. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was not in that era. I was a DVD era guy. Oh wow. So Advanced. I didn't have to do manual rewinds. It was all. You just press eject, it's all there for you. It's all there. But they would yeah. be watching pornographies like on the TVs in the store? Big time. But it was wow. sort of, you know, when it was quiet. Yeah, of course. But no one's I, bold enough to put it on the And I was obviously very innocent mm -hmm. and didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Until I sort of told my brothers at home. You're like, walking in with a rucksack, imaginary style on your own rucksack, back. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Wow. Um, like the kid from Up. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I remember, and I also remember trying to get a 15 out, mm -hmm. like a, I don't know if it's the same. Um, we would have MA15 plus, okay, which wow. is like a mature audiences recommended 15 years or older, or accompanied by a parent or guardian. So my parent or guardian would never come to the video shop with me. So I was just trying my luck and getting a 15. And I worked out the maths of what year I was born and all that stuff. And then they bloody rung my parents oh, because yeah. they were on the, my card. And then my mum said I wasn't 15. And I was so embarrassed because it was also the sexy boys that were playing porn that I was trying to impress. Wow, those guys. Yeah. They had it all. Story of my life. And that's their allure. <laughs> the allure. Do you remember what the movie you were trying to rent was? No, it was probably something in the kind of era of the she's all that's and the... You know, 10 Things I Hate About You Oh, vibe. okay, yeah. Teenage yeah, teen. Shakespearean adaptations. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Yeah. It is. Wow. And, you know, yeah, I tried my best, but then I was so embarrassed and I was so mad with my, my mum. But, you know... That's parenting, I suppose. Well, I hope you find it in your heart to forgive her. I just went home and read some Shakespeare instead. <laughs> oh, I have to imagine yeah. this young modern oh, teenagers playing these characters. Uh, yeah, and she will be tamed. <laughs> I promise you she'll be tamed. Well, I'm going to load you up in the system. Your membership is official. And I'm even going to put a note in that you are allowed to rent MA15 Plus and even R18 X-rated. You can get everything. Wow, the porn is coming. The porn is available <laughs> to God. you right now. Thank God. Well, I'm going to send you out to the shelves. Come back with your picks you can get up to four films okay i'm gonna say new release and three weeklies which can be older films anything we have every single film that has ever been made yet to be made released or unreleased they're out there in the shelves for you great looking forward to it new release see with a wonderful stack of movies in front of you but one thing i'm noticing there are no new releases here. <laughs> this is unprecedented. In all our years of doing this podcast, this is one of the first two or three episodes that everyone has picked a new release film. Yeah. I find that really hard, actually, because I think there must be some correlation between mm -hmm. I started working in movies in 2018, mm -hmm. which was Stan and Ollie, and then Bohemian Rhapsody. And that's the new release era. And that's the new release era that you know, rewinding five years from now is to there. And so maybe there's a correlation between since working on movies where I can, I know how, it, you know, the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. You can't enjoy them. I don't know, maybe. And wow. that makes me really sad. I mean, there's a few movies that I obviously have enjoyed, but I think I... Elvis, Bohemian Rhapsody, Standard Ollie. Yeah, just um, Pieces of Woman. Yeah. Things that I've worked... Saltburn. Yeah, Saltburn, really good, yeah. yeah. 
But I think it would be really conceited for me to only <laughs> talk about films that I've worked on. Yeah, well, those those are the only five good movies in the last five years, so it makes sense. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's what's the common thread? <laughs> yeah, there's something there. You're about to become extremely in demand right <laughs> <Yeah> . now. <laughs> Weekly. So, you've got some older films here and said, I will allow this. I will have to、Thanks. go into the system, manually change one of these to a new release. But there are some absolutely beautiful classics you've got here. Films I've warmed my heart throughout my entire life. I think you have beautiful taste. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>、uh, the first film you've got here, an Australian classic. Oh, yeah. We, you know, we don't have it directly in front of us right now, but an Australian classic, a musical by Baz Luhrmann.、Mm. What's the film? What a banger. It's Strictly Ballroom. Music. Absolutely beautiful. When did this movie come into your life? Oh,、um, probably I probably rented it from the video store, <laughs> pretending I was old enough to get it. Yeah. Um, You're changing it to like a G rating on the front. Yeah, I think that people just thought it was something about ballroom dancing, let、mm-hmm. me have it. Like, how sexy can this be? It's about ballroom dancing. Oh, honey, oh, you got no idea. Have you met Tina Sparkles? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, 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 did think, I do think I rented it from the video store, and then I do think I、uh, wore out my own. Cassette tape、oh, of it.、Wow. So you own this as well? Yeah, I own yeah, this as well. The soundtrack. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a proper nostalgic thing for me now because, you know, look at me, but I went on to work with Baz Luhrmann and that is absolutely ballistic to me. Like,、yeah. There were days on set when Elvis where I was like, what? Because that, that film was for me as somebody that danced as a kid.、Mm. And was in competitions, and it was all about the aesthetics and、uh, understanding what dancing was in terms of is it technique or is it spirit? When are, you,、yeah. when, are you, when are you deemed good? When are you not good enough? I think that really、um, spoke to me without me realizing that that's why it spoke to me. And I think there's something about Strictly Ballroom that I keep coming back to. Especially on the discovery after, you know, I was a, I was a really high end dancer when I was a kid、um, and sort of geared towards doing that, you know, in, in, in ballet. Yeah, in ballet. ballet. And, you know, have hugely、um, content memories of being at ballet school. I also have a lot of destructive ones、mm. because that sort of training and the rigor and the restriction is something that. I was always in competition with, and I was regularly being told, You're too entertaining, you're trying、mm. to get too much attention,、mm. this sort of stuff. Your star、um, glows too bright. A little bit, I think, but in comparison to the girls that were really obedient,、mm. you know, didn't like talking to boys or didn't like carbs, and I liked all of those、yeah. things. And so, because I was like a little bit bigger, sometimes I would have to sell it more、mm. when dancing. And so I think there is something in the story of Scott in, and his father in Strictly Ballroom、yeah. that made me go, wow, dancing isn't about looking a certain way, it's about feeling something. And we hear it all the time, you know, just move from feeling, move from feeling. But actually, you know, understanding that through a film when I was younger was really, really formative. Was it an, an instance of you as a kid going, Oh, that's part of my life. Did you feel seen by this movie? Yeah, 100%. I mean, because you've got, 
you've got characters that are the underdogs, mm. which I definitely felt like I was, yeah. even though I was really good, mm. you know? And that that's quite a weird, twisted psychology because then you've got, um, you know, you've got Tina and you've got her partner, whose name I can't remember, Kim or something, um, who are the kind of the elegant, They've got the most fabulous costumes. They've got the They've best got that bodies. Perfect white quiffed hair. Like love that design. All of that. I mean, I mean, that was the start of CM and and Baz's sort of working relationship. Mm. That and I think in learning about how that film was made, now I'm older. That it came from Baz being at NIDA and putting on a play and you know fighting to get it made through you know trying to get investors and stuff. There's something again that it reminds me that we've all we can all be doing that and we mm. don't have to leave it to the film gods to come and like you know choose us yeah we and our stories are the ones that like individual stories are the ones that we should make otherwise they don't mean anything to anyone and so i think it kind of is quite an existential musing mm. for me looking at how that was made and how they how that collaboration made it was craig pierce who is a screenwriter who then went on to work on all of baz's subsequent films you know, it's yeah. like it's it's sort of beautiful how that collaboration came from a world of dance. And so in a in a job where I regularly feel quite isolated and quite alone in the sense that I am the only person on set in my role. I rarely have an assistant. I regularly am carrying a lot of high performers with me and then get the bus home. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's something kind of extraordinary about looking at that and seeing, you know, the scene where um the you know Franz Yaya teaches the pasodoble rhythm and encourages Scott, our lead character, to to feel the music rather than be at odds with it. Odd with it is something that I think I get. I'm always pushing my actors to work with as well. So. Oh wow! I think you say it so beautifully in that. What makes this film so unique? Because it is a really it's a simple story and it's like a familiar story, this film. But what it is, what its power is, is in obviously its aesthetics. But I think it's in this thing that I'd not even really thought about in that when you think about dance, you think about like freedom, you think about expression. But then it's in this world where everything's highly, highly, I guess not regimented, but like specific. They want to see the specific things. They don't want to see surprises. They don't want to see the things before. And that feels so at odds with how anyone really thinks about dance. But yeah. it's this really specific world that does it. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, we, you could probably, any of us or anyone listening to this could watch a television program and watch a bunch of dancers. And we probably all would go, that person's really good. Mm. There is something so, um, there is something so innate and uh, animal in our understanding of what what seeing somebody move makes us feel yeah and so i think yeah i think that really is um i don't know i think it is it's the it's the best thing about that film as well as you can watch it hung over on a sunday mm -hmm. and just for me do extreme australian accents and find it very funny <laughs> yeah but <laughs> you know like can you try one now uh, oh um yes tina sparkles whoa okay tina sparkles is in the room yeah tina sparkles so i i just think I, I found it very entertaining. I mean, it was also in the in the echelons of Muriel's wedding mm. for us. When Australian cinema is like hitting this really unique space of 
broad but very interesting comedy, yeah. but very deep and heartfelt. Yeah. Like I think that that was like a really powerful time of Australian cinema where we were doing something special that was on the cutting edge and perhaps even like decades ahead of like where independent cinema was going in the rest of the world. Yeah, and when I'm in mean, like that really as a young British girl, mm-hmm. the idea of Australia was like it's so far away and magnificent yes. and it's somewhere that I'll go when I'm 18 and backpack and work in a stra- strawberry farm or something. Yeah, of course. And I actually That's every like, English person's yeah. dream from what I understand as an Australian. <laughs> or, you know, it's Ramsey Street or, you know, yeah. whatever. But, Summer Bay. Summer Bay. Yeah. So, but it was kind of, a, you know, again, it's a kind of full circle film for me because then I ended up working in Australia so much and I'm here, you You're know. You're here right now. Yeah. You're here in the store. That's it. I think it's, I, I caught up with this film again recently and I remember when it came, when I saw it as a kid, I was kind of like, yeah, that's good, but it didn't really stick with me. And then coming back to it now, I think my thoughts or even my feelings about aesthetics have changed so much over my life where, you know, when I was a kid, like, I don't know, maximalism wasn't something I was really interested in. Mm. Now where like, now it's something I really care about is seeing like the expression through cinema and through just like even just the way this film sparkles, the way this film glows, like the way that light catches on a sequin. I found it so immensely just like I oozed for this movie now. Yeah. I just loved it so much. I found it so funny and so charming there's and just like so, lives in vibrancy. Yeah, you're right. There's so, um, there's so few films as well that have the confidence to do something like... Um, the kind of uh, the flashback to Scott's mm-hmm. dad dancing. And it's almost like in a stagey style. It's so different. It's make them laugh and mm-hmm. singing in the rain. It's it's all, it, it's a big studio space, him dancing alone, sort of a, there's a broom involved, there's a spotlight roaming. And I just like, that's proper. And we don't mm-hmm. see that. And I think that's, you know, goes back to Saltburn. We crave seeing people dance or it's the end of another round. Yeah. You know, where we see all those men dancing. It's like we there's something real that audiences crave mm. because we are becoming so unphysical. Yes. Because we're on our phones, we're connected by emails, da 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 da. Like we want to see people move and express because mm. it's something that we don't live in regularly. And it goes back to my animal in shoes wow, concept. Okay. I love that. One thing that I didn't have any memory of and we came back to the film that I really loved and it's just something I I was never conscious of but I think it's a really nice way to start the story is there's all these talking head moments where it's like the characters with almost like interview chirons underneath them saying this is who this person is and they just start telling the story as if it's a documentary Mm. I found that like a really nice way to get into the film and I was so charmed by that with the extension of this is Baz Luhrmann's directorial debut. It's so confident to do a move like that in a movie that not only abandons it, it grows stylistically beyond that kind mm. of stuff. And to make, I think that's what I found so charming with this because I love a lot of Baz's modern films there and the maximalism that he displays there. But to see his maximalism on a small budget in almost nat- like the maximalism but finding the naturalistic space to tell like these maximalistic stories and these maximalistic expressions, I was like genuinely moved by that. Oh, great. And I, I reckon there's something in that because it, it changes with us and that's mm-hmm. why these films last. Like, I, you know, it's even Romeo and Juliet, you know, like 
there, there will never be an, uh, there will never be a day where someone goes, should we put Romeo and Juliet on? And I say no. Mm-hmm. It is the most extraordinary film and the most extraordinary combination of design and concept and um, you know real belief in the words and, and understanding the story of what it means to be in love and hopeful. And it's kind of you know at the core of Strictly Born too, mm-hmm. and that's the start of you know the Red Curtain trilogy for him is like, and th- these that's why those films sustain and will and I'll keep watching them. And we all will keep watching yeah, them. Yeah, and Paul McEwan's butt's very cute in it. That might be another reason to keep watching <laughs> these movies. Come <laughs> ah, to mention it. That's the real reason. Forget all this stuff. What yeah. is your next pick? Oh, um, my next pick. I guess going on from there is a film that my dad recorded off the television for me. <gasps> oh, that's a special memory. Like having those films where you can remember where the ads are or where someone was loving enough to pause it so the ads can be skipped. All of that jazz, yeah. And I remember my parents were having a party and it was one of those ones where it was like, put the kids in the room and sort of leave them be. Mm-hmm. And this was the film that he put on. And I don't remember the other people in the room being there. And this film then, uh, along with The Sound of Music and other absolute bangers, is um, one that I have such fond memories of for so many reasons and has actually infiltrated all aspects of my life. And that's Annie. Music. Yeah, it's a really fun movie. I love Annie. What, what makes, like, I love musicals. I love big cinema, big screen musicals. Um, and I think it's because what is film, if not, like, the meaning of sound and vision? And what expresses that more powerfully than musicals? And also, I have to agree with you on something. To me, that's a movie star move, to just see someone dancing on screen. Like, that's when you see, like, that's what you want to see. You want to see beautiful people moving beautifully. Mm. And Annie has at least two huge banger numbers. The sun will come out tomorrow. That would probably be top five karaoke songs that I would love to try. <laughs> I've never sung it out loud, but I think it would be yeah, really fun. I can't really body riffle to that, but I would <laughs> I love would to see it, yeah. The sun will come out. <laughs> Was that? Did that feel good? Yeah, it's good. There's more of a shoulder roll than okay. a body ripple. The but. sun will come out <laughs> tomorrow. Again. Yeah, you yeah. joints. Yeah, yeah. And Hard Knock Life. That's two all-time great musical numbers. And they're both performed, like, really differently in the film, too. Like, mm-hmm. one... Like, Hard Knock Life is more like that Busby Berkeley, like, you know, where it's so many different angles. It's about the camera as much as it's about the performers. Mm-hmm. And... You know, song come out. It's like a beautiful solo. It's a beautiful solo with, but you know, then you've got President Roosevelt in the room. Mm-hmm. You've got he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, just believing in the future of America. <laughs> you know, Daddy Warbuck joins in yep. for the first time. You know, it's a that's a big. I mean, I will. I won't lie. I did used to fast forward the song will come out t- tomorrow. Wow. Um, Thank you for not lying. Yeah. I mean, not that it's not great, but it would just stay in my head mm, too much, and I was true. annoyed by myself. Yes, okay, I understand yeah, that. Which, but there's something also very Pollyanna uh, about that song that I think I always had a slight problem with, which is like have a little dose of pessimism in me. But the Hard Not Life was just, you're completely right. I mean, it, 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 for anyone who's not seen it, like a lot of films at that time were 
big studio soundstage guys, mm-hmm. lots of kind of um, one shots, lots of big, you know, I don't know if you've seen Million Dollar Mermaid, but th- those sort of the films which are just like... What's Million Dollar Mermaid? Oh, that's but it's so good but it's not something that I put I you know I've chosen today because it's not there's not much story there Mm. it's effectively a kind of dance show but it's a lot of um high-end divers and oh is that Esther Williams yeah it's Esther Williams and it's um and it's Busby Berkeley who choreographed it so you see lots of kind of synchronized swimming you Mm -hmm. see lots of shapes you see lots of high dives it's like it's the screensaver on my phone, which wow. is like you know, a, a, a be- Esther Williams coming out in a gold swimsuit. Wow, okay. Um, with lots of synchronized swimming, gorgeous ladies that are smiling through, mm-hmm. sort of going underwater and arriving out of water again, and it's it's mad. Wow, but I hate to bring this up again, but Austin Powers, Spy Who Shagged Me, opening scene, they do make reference to Esther Williams when yeah. he's doing synchronized swimming. And in Hail Caesar as well, mm-hmm. um, Scarlett Johansson's doing something or other yeah. to that. But it's all, it's, so it's part Austin of life, Powers is really like <laughs> taking over. Um, it's because I'm English, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, I think there's something about th- th- how those films were made. It was mm. therefore stuff that came through like the Fred Astaire movies, like, and then going into to Annie is the first time that people were like cutting and, and um, cutting sequences to make it look like one shots. Mm. And so How Not Life is all of the orphans in the orphanage led by Annie being, you know, pissed off that she's having to clean. And this is, when I was watching it, I was a little girl, not that was pissed off at having to clean, but (laughs) I was a little girl that was at dance club, you know? So this was me seeing people my age. I remember one girl backflips up a bed, and I was like, how do I backflip up a bed? I was just like, well, she's doing it, so now I need to be able to do that. And that's what I worked on, like in my bedroom, trying to backflip and causing a lot of noise, but still giving it a go wow. but being that kind of um you know there's something so amazing about seeing young people dance because it's all the things that we as adults don't have anymore which is sort of you know or rarely have elastic limbs well elastic limbs yeah but also that you know they're just not not as self-conscious mm. and so you see those girls in that orphan she's absolutely going for it in the same way that you watch matilda now yeah and ellen kane's amazing choreography in matilda that's why we were all taken by that film because we're seeing young people do something that we don't regularly do and the community of how you see those dances come together so I think you know at the inherent thing of like Annie looking for her parents it's all that it's the same thing as why we love Disney movies you know that every Disney movie is like a child that's been taken away from a parent yeah that's my dream as a child what to be taken, taken away from my parents <laughs> oh that's a different podcast yeah different story different story another time yeah you watch this on like a recorded VHS tape do yeah. you remember any of the ads that were stuck on there oh there, I mean there was always McDonald's and it was when we had um, the McDonald's toys were always plastic chicken nuggets and they had different hair sort oh. of like a Mr. Potato Head I know I remember the one you're talking yeah, about they, yeah there's a lot of those adverts wow and there's the it's the very sexy galaxy chocolate with the woman in a bath oh okay yeah and I remember being like oh my god it's so naughty wow we only had galaxy chocolate in Australia for a short amount of time and I think it might have been it was too sexy for us to own yeah, we you couldn't. can't have nice things. No, we can't do it. It was too <laughs> sexy for consumption in Australia. You're really missing out. It's really good. Yeah, and I, was, and I also think it's interesting. Annie and Ronald McDonald have the same hairstylist, I think. 
So well, maybe that's what they're doing, product placement. <laughs> that's what, like, okay, who's going to sponsor the movie? Well, we've got a good connection to Ronald. <laughs> yeah, never thought of that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's such a great, it's such a great movie. And there's, there's an amazing, um, the choreographer of this is called Peter Gerano, who actually was the co-choreographer, unbeknownst to the world, um, of West Side Story. <gasps> Whoa, Robert Wise. Yeah. I love West Side Story. Big I time. think it's. Uh, I, I love West Side Story so much, and I would say this unequivocally the best movie poster ever designed. That Saul Bass. We've got the like the they're on the fire escapes in that beautiful red and white. I think it's just so stunning. It's so good, isn't it? And it's the same. I I just recently bought the poster to blow up, blow up, <gasps> um, and it's in my house. I just moved house. And I was like, why do I love this so much? Because I don't like the movie that much, mm-hmm. but I love this poster, and I was like. I think it's because it's West Side Story and I Whoa. feel like it's a bit too arch for yeah. me, a choreographer, to have a West Side Story on. The blow up the Antonioni yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a hectic poster, like, yeah. you know, standing over with a camera. Over the camera, like, over the thing. sexy yeah. as hell. Yeah. So good. Very cool. And I think as well with Annie and West Side Story, it's that a thing that I love is like backlot New York. That like stage built fake New York kind yeah. of like to look, make it look slummy to make it. I just think there's something about that artifice that I get just so, I get clenched mm. about. I just love it so much. It's so romantic, isn't mm. it? There's something really, and it makes me feel very safe watching both of those films. Yeah. And therefore, when I have gone to work in New York, I feel very at home there. I think because I spent so much time in the imaginary landscape mm-hmm. as a kid um but both of them having huge dance numbers again makes me want to dance through those streets and th- these streets are long lines you know we've got they've there's very there's very few wiggly roots and snickets the way that we have in london what's snickets snickets are like if you've got two roads you've got a curved route to get Whoa. to them that's a snicket well we don't have that in australia <sighs> No. We have laneways. Yeah. We have alleyways. Lots of straight I've never lines. heard the word before, Snicket. Snicket, yeah. But I might say it every single day from henceforth. You just got to go down the Snickets. Yeah, okay. It's where you like go and kiss boys and stuff when you're younger. Catch me down yeah. there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, and also I'm going to point it out to you, this is another Shakespearean adaptation about teenagers. West Side Story. West Side Story. Yeah, big time. Love it. I mean, it's interesting because I did work at the Royal Shakespeare Company mm-hmm. for about two years. Yeah, but you're like, this needs teenagers. Yeah, this, <laughs> this needs teenagers. modern. I'm modern with the big guys. <laughs> yeah. Modern twist of teenagers. How could Shakespeare though? You can't get away from that. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. I don't think he wrote it all though. Oh, don't get me I'm started. I'm one of those conspiracy <laughs> I had this conversation the other day. I was like, here we go. Yeah, no, no, it's all one guy. All right, next pick. (laughs) (laughs) You've got one last pick here, and this is another wonderful picture. Yeah, again, I I mean, there's part of me when I was picking these going, this is sort of quite embarrassing because they're all sort of in the same, there's something all kind of, the the melting pot of them is quite similar. You sort of could pick anyone out, Mm. I think, and watch it at any time. Maybe that's my... That's sort of my niche yeah. in my in my choosing. But I watched A League of Their Own. Drama. Pretty much every week when I was a kid. <laughs> Again, it's women, you know, 
stepping up and taking control of stuff. And I think, I, I think, weirdly, that was important to me when I was a kid, and it's even more important to me now in the in in the work that I I do and who I'm around and what projects I do. And I and Tom Hanks was in Elvis, and this was the film that I spoke to him about. Wow. Um, Did he have the Dutch accent when he replied to you? I can't talk about that. <laughs> okay, it's, it's sealed. That's the sealed section of the interview. <laughs> he did not have the Dutch accent when he was, spoke to me. Okay. We did also talk about Shakespeare too, because he's a big Shakespeare yeah. fellow as well. So no Dutch accent with that. Just I would love to see him do the Merchant of Venice with a Dutch accent though. Call him and Jim Carrey and see what's up. Okay, now yeah. that's a movie. I think we've, I think we're selling a movie in the room right now. Really casting wild here. I really love A League of Their Own. I especially love uh, Penny Marshall. She was one of those filmmakers that I think I just like probably growing up with this movie a little bit. It played on TV all the time in Australia, and like I used to watch Laverne and Shirley as well I'm that kind of weird guy I would mm. rush home to watch reruns of 30 year old sitcoms and stuff and I've always loved Penny Marshall and now as I've grown my appreciation of her has grown because I think she makes comedy truly cinematic and in this film as well it's like this warm feeling but it also feels like an American epic like you know and that's what baseball is I guess to people like you and I that I'm not, we didn't grow up in baseball culture. I just go, wow, that's America. Yeah, big time. I know exactly what you mean. Because this is like the, the making of a all-American female baseball league mm. at the time where men were all, you know, at war. Yeah. It's, there's something kind of opportunistic about it in the same way that like women were making the bridges mm. in England and stuff like There's something kind of like, oh, we can do it too about yeah. it. And then you throw in kind of the cast here and it is the all-American cast. It's, you know. Madonna. Just Gina Madonna. Davis. <laughs> I love, I think Madonna is so rocking in this movie. I'm a big Madonna fan. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell is so funny. There's an actress that I really love in this movie, uh, Megan Kavanagh, who plays, uh, she's in... Uh, like other movies of this time, Junior, she's in Junior. She's in Miss Congeniality 2, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, but she plays uh, Maria Hooch in this film. Oh, you know sure. This? Yeah, I'll the, show the, you got her on the, the screen here. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's her. I always loved her in A League of Their Own. I just think there's something about that performance that I don't even, I can't even articulate. I just love that as like the I little supporting know. character actor role. Because she's the, she's the character who she leaves her dad mm. and she's actually a really strong ball player mm. but the men don't want her in the team because she's not attractive yeah kill me dad yeah, absolutely. and so and they like you know they, they've got the kind of the, uh, their version of the she's all that kind of she's been put in a skirt and a dress and then she's on the night out with all of the female players and she meets her husband see everyone mm. needs love they all do and penny marshall knows it i also think that what this film does it's like this nice balance between the goofy comedy that she can just nail like that's her wheelhouse that's her background but then it has this balance of like the prestige based on a true story drama film and i think 
she's kind of done both of those things. But because she melds them together so nice in this film, like, oh, this is the film that she was, like, born to make. Yeah. It's got all her skills in it. I agree. It goes back to what you were saying about the sort of all-American thing. There's, like, there's a moment in this which is, a, uh, I think the team, the peaches are warming up mm-hmm. and somebody hits the ball and the ball falls to the outside of the pitch and a black woman picks up the ball and throws it back to Gene Davis with a real corker of, mm. a, of a throw. And it's just a little loaded look. There's nothing that touches on race mm-hmm. broader than that mm. one, one little moment between Gina and that woman. And Gina just gives her a little nod, as in like, yeah, you, you're as good as us. Mm. And it's just so smart because it's like watching it now, I was like, oh, it's kind of weird that there's no black women in this thing. Oh, God. You know, and if they were making that film now, it would be a whole, it would be a whole casting yeah. curiosity. Yeah, have you seen the new Amazon series? Of what? Of this. as an Amazon series uh, interpretation of A League of Their Own. No. And it does exactly what you're saying. Which is what? Overegg that? No, which is it's, well, no, not exactly what you're saying. It's doing what you would want it to do, I should say, where it explores that entire aspect of it. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It was only one season, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, it's a pretty cool series. I don't know. I'm, I'm scared of watching anything. I'm really scared generally of watching remakes like West Side Story. You didn't see the remake? It took me a really long time to see it. And you did see it? And I did. And? I think my well, two... A loaded, I think. <laughs> well done, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Good job. We love you, Sir Stevie. Love you, babe. Good job. Keep going. However, the two things that I thought were really excellent about it were that for the first time I had thought about West Side Story being, as you were kind of saying, in the populated city of New York. Mm. When you watch the original, there's no extras. Yeah. It's just the sharks and the jets. You don't see anybody yeah. else. Yeah. The it's skyline's just, really just like a big purple yeah, haze. It's just yeah. like, we're in New York and mm-hmm. it's just the sharks and the jets. And for whatever reason, that works, Yeah, you know, given it was made in, what, 17? Yeah. You're whatever. like, okay, I can see Officer Krupke keeping all these people in line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's doing a good job. He's not stretched out too far. Yeah. So there was something amazing about seeing it now and feeling the, the weight of the city around these people. And I equally, I loved, they moved the where cool, the song Cool is. Mm. So in the original, Cool is after... Um, Riff has been killed and um, and Bernardo, Bernardo has been killed. Mm. Whereas in West Side Story, Stephen's one, um, like we know him. Stephen's version. Yeah, Steve's version. Uh, he, <laughs> they moved it to before the rumble. Yeah. And I thought that was like, I was like, oh, duh, yes, mm. great. However, don't need it. Wow. God bless them. We'll always watch the original. That's true. That's true. I will, tr- I will endeavor to watch both in one day, one day. I will watch it with you and okay. be scathing. Whoa, okay, well. I just don't think, I just don't think it, yeah, but I'm. I, I would say this, I was surprised by it because I did not, I mean, it's hard not to like Spielberg because he's so skilled. He's such a skilled technician and still skilled craftsman and skilled artist. And I was watch when I watched. I was like, he should have been making musicals for a long time. Yeah, he should have been doing this for a long time. Just done um, Color Purple as well. Uh, He produced it, but he he directed the original, then he produced or Ah. EP'd the new one. 
which is a musical adaptation. But I, even like in, I think, 1941, the weird comedy he made in the 70s, and then Temple of Doom. He's got great musical sequences. Like, this guy should have been... We were robbed of him making musicals. He probably won't make another one again. I know, and it was kind of that he was only making West Side Story, well, not only, but I believe Mm. the kind of rhetoric that was put out there with the publicity was that it was because it was the first film his dad had made him watch or watched with him or something, and it was like in honour to his Mm. father. His father. And I go, yeah, yeah. It's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and it's the same with, you know, it's the same with Fablemans. Yeah. Wow, Fablemans. That's awesome. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I loved Fablemans. Did you? Yeah, because it was crazy. It's what a really, was crazy about it? It's, I think it was really interesting to see this guy who has been like the popular filmmaker of modern cinema, cinema like the real populist filmmaker. And he's always made like these big genre films and there's a lot of heart in them but then when you see this you understand how much of himself he shared throughout all these other films as well and i think you know if there was one filmmaker that could make like at or if you allow them to make a really in self-indulgent expose memoir of their life it should be this guy that's been making entertaining everyone forever and then you watch it go whoa, this guy is really sharing a lot this time. Like there's that one shot where his parents are fighting. And when I say his parents, the actors that are portraying his real parents. And then you see in the, in the mirror a shot of little young Stevie Fableman or whatever his name was. <laughs> uh, Stevie Fableman. You see a shot of him imagining filming that fight. And you go, whoa, Steven, you're messed up, man. You're messed up. I love that. I didn't know he was a messed up guy. Right. Yeah. I I that's great. <laughs> I just It was just a bit <laughs> you know? It was no there it didn't feel like there were any yes, for the nostalgia of filmmaking, probably a very great film. I was watching it from the perspective of when I the things that I love about films is when there's a real action through mm-hmm. through a scene and I felt that so many of these scenes were just sort of open wafty um, you know wafty things situations that if I walked out and came back in nothing would have changed because I missed something it was just another episode and I would have, I, you know what? Also, I would have like zooped up my life a bit. Mm. I would have upgraded my life and been like, you know that film I made for the high school? It was really good. <laughs> Do you want a student Oscar? Because I yeah. watched that film and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah, one of the guys is Chewbacca. I invented that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it needed a dance in it or something. I don't know. Well, so you're saying Steven Spielberg was very humble. He made a humble version of his life. Interesting. I like to hear that. I'm interpreting what you said as positive. Okay, you can take it. Staff pick. Well, <laughs> it's time for me to give you my bespoke, customized staff pick recommendation for you based on your taste, your wonderful set of films. Uh, I had to start cooking. I had to start cooking to think of this one. And I ended up coming up with one of my, one of my most treasured movies, a movie that I really love. 
And I think what sparked it was your pick of Strictly Ballroom because it is, it's an Australian musical. The movie I'm presenting to you is an Australian musical, which is very rare. There's maybe, off the top of my head, maybe two or three more that I could even think of, of Australian big screen musicals. Um, and like Strictly Ballroom, there's this maximalist to it, maximalist energy to it. And it's in that same kind of Australiana. And I even think it would probably be in the lineage of film. It could be the ancestor to Strictly Ballroom. Uh, it's a film by one of my favorite filmmakers, Gillian Armstrong. Great Australian filmmaker. She made uh, My Brilliant Career. She made The Little Women in the 1990s with Mona Ryder mm-hmm. and Susan Sarandon. It is a movie called Starstruck. Music. And here it is right here for you, Starstruck. What rating is it? This one is, (laughs) it's probably, it does have a little bit of nudity in it. So you are allowed to rent it. I'm allowing it on your system. Thank you. Um, So what Starstruck is, it is a new wave musical. So it's, I would say it's Australian cinematic new wave of the 1970s and early 1980s. The film Renaissance meets new wave music like Tim Finn writes a song for this film. The Swingers, which is another spin-off of Split Ends, do the main theme for this film. And it is a story of a young girl in Sydney, Australia, working class family that own a pub. It's the most beautiful pub in all of Sydney. It's like right underneath the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And she has these dreams of becoming like a big famous pop star. And the way that's interpreted in the film, it's very vibrant colours. It's kind of like this... Australiana that only exists in nostalgia but it's I also picked it because I think it's one of the only times in Australian film where like your West Side Story like Annie like First Wives Club where they treat Sydney like a big city like the big smoke not just like oh bumfuck Australia (laughs) where like our dreams exist on the other side of the world she's from the wrong side of the tracks in Sydney but her dreams can be achieved here in like the heights of the skyscrapers in the opera house and it's just I think it's a really really beautiful film with really fun performances and one thing I'd love to hear for your thoughts on when do you eventually watch this film is it's like not trained dancers doing these big Busby Berkeley style show-stopping dance numbers they are untrained dancers and they've kind of it's all about like their energy so I'd be interested to see what you think of that it's my favorite thing really yeah oh Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. And it's got a glittery case. Glittery so case. Really happy about that. Yeah. It's a it's a really fun movie. And for those listening, it's been hard to find, but someone has restored it and put it up on YouTube. So it's up on YouTube now with all its dance numbers in like high definition and stuff. Oh my god. And recently, I interviewed Gillian Armstrong for a podcast I've been working on, and I had the original Australian poster, these debuts, which are like these long skinny posters. And I bought one years ago on eBay because I was like, oh, I just love this movie so much. And I interviewed her at the end. I go, you can say no, but can you please sign this? Can you please sign this? And she did. Was she like stoked that you had that? Yeah, she was pretty excited to see it. I think the way I interpreted it, she was. <laughs> the way I interpreted it, let's, she was. Let's say that she was. I think so. Yeah. Fantastic. I will watch it and let you know. Well, here it is. Your stack of movies. Woo-hoo! 
Let me put that down for you. Your membership to Batuta Video. You've got Strictly Boring. You've got Annie. You've got A League of Their Own. You've got Starstruck. And none of these are new releases. They're all weekly, so you can keep them for a little bit longer. I'm never watching a, a film ever again that wasn't made before 1990. <laughs> But thank you so much for joining us, Polly. Thank you. My pleasure. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Starstruck. Here we go. The last video store. (laughs) My sincere thank you to Polly Bennett for joining me for a chat in the last video store. If you want to catch up with the movies that Polly talked about, you can do so. Allow me to tell you where you can find them. Strictly Ballroom is available on ABC iView. Annie is on Binge, Foxtel, whatever that kind of thing is. You can also rent it on VOD. And you can rent a league of their own on Video On Demand as well. Starstruck, however, the film by Gillian Armstrong that I recommended her. A little bit more difficult to find, but I'll say this. Someone has given you a blessing out there in the world. Uh, there's a little nicely nice version out there on uh, YouTube. Uh, but you didn't hear it from me. You did not hear it from me. Just saying, you can search Starstruck on YouTube and you might be lucky. That's all I'll say. And it's a freaking great movie. So watch it while you can. I, but I didn't say that. You didn't hear it from me. But also you can listen to this show as a podcast. Wherever you go podcast from, look up the last video store, click the link. And you can watch it on YouTube. You can see what I look like. I'm really handsome, I promise you that. You won't be disappointed when you see what my face looks like. Until next time, I'll see you at the movies. And um, don't talk to me while we're at the movies. It's actually, you have to be quiet in the cinema. So you can talk to me in the foyer after if you see me there. Uh, But during the film, please be very respectful. Phone silence, stare at the screen, feel the empathy radiating throughout your body. And then we can talk about it afterwards. But until then, I'll see you, babe. Take it easy.